Okay, I promise that I will be as brief as I can, which for regulars are thinking, man, that's not going to be brief. I think it will be, though. Um, if you don't know me, hopefully you won't beat me up by the end of it. Hopefully this will have made some sense of this morning. Maybe you've come in thinking, this isn't quite what I was expecting. It feels a bit more like a party than it should do. And that's because, actually, today is a party. It's a celebration. And I think when it comes to baptism, we are going to go through to a hall in the back, and you're going to see the five individuals who've amazingly shared. And I don't know about you, whenever I hear people's story, I always end up with a little water trickling down my face, thinking, man, man up, man up, and then I think, no, I'm going I'm to fall to pieces. This is amazing. That what we're going to see is they're going to go through to the back, and we're going to take them into a big wooden tub, and then literally they're going to individually be taken and taken underwater and then brought up out of it. And if you've never seen it before, it's weird. For some of you thinking, that does sound weird. Like, why would you do that as a grown adult? Well, well I'm going to explain why you do that. Because actually, in its weirdness, it's actually quite profound. It's profound of revealing why this is a party. It's profound in revealing that actually, as they go underwater, it's signifying something. As they come out of the water, it's signifying something. Because what that tub becomes is like a giant signpost. A giant signpost that this is a housewarming party. That what we're going to see is that actually in them going underwater, it's saying, hey, I used to live in this old home. And this is the best way that I've found to explain what baptism is. I used to live in this old home, and as they come out in the, of the water, which I promise you they will do, we've never, ever let anyone stay underwater. <laughs> I can promise you that. They always come out, and as they come out, it's saying, actually, I want you all to know now and celebrate with me, I live in this new home. A new home that I'm learning to live in the good of. It isn't that I've explored every part of it, it's rather that I know what it's like, but I'm seeking to live and enjoy every facet of it. And so I don't know if you saw that already in the stories that have been shared, that they all said, actually, I'm learning to live in this new life. I still know the stuff that was there, that was part of this old home, but I'm learning to live. I'm not defined by that anymore. I'm defined by this new home. But before we rush ahead to the new home, I want us to understand, firstly, the old home. See, when it comes to homes, what I've come to discover is a home is usually made of a building, and a building is usually defined by four walls. Uh, you have four walls, because if you have that, you've then got something surrounding you. And in those four walls surrounding you, you then put a roof on in order that you can camp out in there. And that old home that we're going to see that each and every one of them used to dwell in, however much we might paper up and uh, decorate the interior, is defined and characterized by four walls. And these four walls are defined by who we are. If you like, it's a home of our making. And those four walls, uh, firstly, one is about fear. A fear that is actually, I think, within all of us. A fear of saying, am I good enough? Like, is what I do with my life, is what I've achieved, is it enough? Or maybe it's like, if people truly knew what I'd done or what had been done to me, what would they think of me? And however many pictures we hang up on the wall, we still know that it's there, and there's this fear that kind of trickles through of us thinking, man, am I good enough? The next wall is one of restlessness, where we can put it up there as, as many things as we want to satisfy ourselves, where it may be money, it may be uh, drink or alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be relationships, it might be influence and power. 
But actually, however much of that that we hang up on the wall, it, it never truly satisfies, and we find ourselves just continuously feeling restless. That's two walls. It's not sounding a great house, is it, at the moment? Third wall is one of brokenness. That actually, because this home is all about us and us as an individual and us getting everything we want for ourselves, that it causes us increasingly to curve in on ourselves. And in us curving in on ourselves, what it causes us to do is damage our relationship with others. Because ultimately, however much we're wanting to interact with others, we're always looking to preserve ourselves. And in that self-preservation, it causes us to damage our relationship with others. Ultimately, it also causes us to damage our relationship within ourselves. That we find that actually, if we're really honest and we try and look at the reflection in the mirror, we can't help but thinking, man, I don't quite like what I see, however much I brush up and dye. Which some of you are thinking, man, do you really dye your hair? Yeah, I do. I, I dye it gray so I look older. <laughs> uh, it then became a fashion that everyone's doing now. But you do it just to kind of change what you see. But it's not only that brokenness in terms of damage of how we relate to others or how we relate within ourselves, but also ultimately how we can relate to God. I'm saying, God, if you're out there and you're longing to define who I am, actually, if I'm always the one saying, I want to define who I am, this relation can't ever work. And then lastly, and some of you think, man, I, I thought we were party time, and you're kind of just taking us on a downer. I'm afraid I'm going to take us even worse at the moment. So we've got the three walls. We then get to the fourth wall. And the fourth wall is death. You see, we don't like talking about that because death is an inevitability for every one of us as soon as we become alive. We just know there's something in us that thinks we weren't made to die. And however close you get to it, you think, man, I'm not ready yet. That's because we weren't made to die. And death is there as something that comes like a thief that we think, actually, no, this isn't how we're meant to be. It's not how humanity's meant to be, but we can't escape it. As we're left defined in this house of our own making with walls of fear, of restlessness, of brokenness, and death. And rather than it becoming a home, it becomes like a prison. And one where we think, man, I don't want to live here, but however much we try, we can't get rid of it. See, with it, it then talks about how then we've left that home. And if we jump back just a couple of slides, we'll see in the um, Bible, it talks um, in Romans, which is a letter written to a church in Rome, hence why it's called Romans. And in a bit, the guy who's writing it, Paul, to those believers, says, hey, I want you to understand how you've left the old home and get to live in a new home. And he reveals that that's what it's all about in terms of baptism, where he says this, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, where we are boss, how can we still live in our old house there, that old home defined as I've said? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. See, Kirsty and Phil have taught us one thing. That is, avoid watching Kirsty and Phil. The second thing they've taught us is this, that location, location, location matters. That where you base yourself matter. And what Paul's saying here is what's happening in baptism is you're being told that you lived in this old home, but now the old home where you're at the center has been taken, you've been taken out of that and put into a new home, a new home which is in a new country. There's all about grace. 
And grace is this word that we've heard maybe, maybe we've said it and we think, oh, that's what you say before food. Or maybe we've sung that amazing hymn, amazing grace, and you think, it sounds good. That's because it is good. Because grace is basically about an unmerited, unfavored gift to each and every one of us who will receive it. But what's the gift then? What causes us to look, get to live in the new home, which we will look at in a moment? Well, whenever you move, there's always cost and effort. If anyone here has ever moved, you'll know it's costly. It's costly financially. You end up, if you're buying a house, just paying everyone everywhere something to just do something. And generally, they try and do something. So if you pay someone to do a report, they'll do a report that tells you you need another report. Man, I could have written a report that said I need another report, but you keep paying out. It's costly. Maybe it's not that you've bought a house. Maybe it's that you've rented a house. Increasingly, in the day and age we live in, it is costly to rent a house. Landlords are kings. They know how, or queens, they know how to do it. So they ask for as much upfront money as possible. It's costly. Also takes effort. Isn't that you suddenly go from an old home to a new home? Isn't that you suddenly find all your living possessions are suddenly magically there? It's that you have to spend time packing up, which no one likes to do. Sorting out, which no one likes to do. And you take effort to to do that stuff and then to physically move it. And in this home, move, we'll find that for every single one of them, they understood that it took cost and effort, but a cost and effort that none of them could do. So all five of them in that baptism go from this moment of saying, hey, I lived in this old home. And I realized that there was a cost and effort to move to a new home. But that cost and effort was dealt and paid and produced by Jesus through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. I said, each and every one of them, their story wasn't, and then I did this. It was then I received Jesus I realized that he was better than I ever thought he was. And he's enabling me to move from this old home that had become like a prison and to be invited into this new life, to live in a new home. So what does the new home look like? Well, they're now finally out of the water and they're saying, hey, this is the signpost. This is why the party's at because you get to understand why I'm so excited about the new home that I'm living in. It's like the old home, it has four walls, but this time the four walls are good news. See, the first wall is a wall of love. I don't know if you heard that through each of the stories. Was that for each person, they've come into this realization that God isn't some distant being, like a puppet master, but rather one who's a loving community who longs to pull us in to his love. That for each of them saying, actually, I've come to discover that God unconditionally loves me. Michael Jackson's known for many things. But one of the things that has lasted forever in my mind was something I heard him say in written form. I wasn't there in record. He was actually speaking at Oxford University. Not the place you'd expect Michael Jackson to speak. And as he was there, he's speaking. He said this. He said, if you start your life on earth knowing that you are loved and you end knowing the same, everything that you live with and in between can be dealt with. See, 
within all of his profound confusion, and I'm not going to comment on Michael Jackson's life, he seemed to have grasped something that I think every single one of us, if we're brutally honest, understands, is that actually there's something inbuilt within us that knows that if we know what it is to be loved, unconditionally, no matter what we do, say, both from this moment now through to the moment we part from this life, actually everything can be dealt with because we realize we don't have anything to prove. We're unconditionally loved. And that's the promise of this house. First of all, you are loved unconditionally. Second of all, you get to rest. Now, where is that restlessness of, if I do these things, maybe they'll satisfy? Actually, it's this realization, Jesus, you're better than I ever imagined. And you promise that you can truly satisfy me. So we get to rest. I'm not looking to live to gain. I've already gained everything. And imagine that for a moment. You wake up in the morning and you think, man, not how can I gain, but rather, man, I've gained everything. So how do I now live from this place of rest in order that I can cause others to see how they can gain what I've gained? Now, it isn't, as I said, that these individuals are getting baptized. They're living in the fullness of this. And this is a home for life. This is a home to be explored. So you'd have heard them say, I'm living, understanding more and more of what it is to be loved. I'm living, more, understanding more and more of what it is to rest. But it's also living more and more with that third wall of wholeness. A wholeness of realizing that actually it doesn't come from looking in. It comes from looking at God. And that God allows us to know our wholeness within ourselves. A wholeness that within ourselves means that we can gaze at the reflection and think, I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to prove because I'm unconditionally loved by the creator of everything. A wholeness that then out of that place allows us to know that we relate within ourselves but also with God who defines us, which then transforms how we relate to others. Knowing that actually in every interaction, it isn't a want to gain, but a want to reveal the wholeness that we have. Then we get to that fourth wall, which to be honest, is probably the most provocative claim that anyone who follows Jesus makes. And that's that fourth wall is a household of life. A life that is for the full now, but also for eternity. See, the claims of followers of Jesus is this, is that Jesus lived and died. That's a proven fact, historical. But also there's this other part, is that he then rose from the dead. And that fact that Jesus rose from the dead changes everything. Because in rising from the dead, what he said is that death doesn't have the final say. I do. And anyone who follows me can know life now, enriched by love, rest, and wholeness, but know that life for eternity knowing that death isn't the end, that they too will be resurrected as I am. And for each of the individuals getting baptized, they're saying, hey, I'm dwelling in this new home, but it's a home for the now, but it's a home of hope. It promises this isn't the end. Death isn't to be feared. Now, for some of us in the room, we'll be thinking, well, that's quite a claim. And to be honest, it either means that we are crazy, or maybe we've got something about us. Now, because we're already nice people, we're not going to want to say, I think you're crazy. But surely it's worth examining the fact, because if Jesus did rise from the dead, that potentially has 
a life-changing impact for your life has for mine. If he doesn't, what is there to be lost in just investigating it? Other than at the end of it thinking, well, I think that isn't true. And to be honest, I'm a little bit concerned about you, and I'm okay with that. But surely it's worth examining. So in a moment, we're going to go through. We're going to see five individuals, and as they go down, and they'll be taken underwater, we get to remember, hey, this is a signpost. This is a housewarming party because as they're going down, it's saying, hey, I used to live in this old home, a home that felt like a prison. And as they're coming out, they're saying, hey, but I've realized that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he's now brought me into this new home, a home that is all about love, rest, wholeness, and life. Please would you celebrate with me as I celebrate in this new home and discover everything it has to offer for me. So what we finish off with is this. Three things. Firstly is this. I think it then allows us to celebrate with them. To celebrate and understand why they wanted you to be in the room as they share their story, as they get baptized. Secondly, maybe it's a moment to explore. To say, hey, I've, I've never truly understood what this is about. And maybe today is a moment to say, hey, I'm going to start a journey. And it probably just takes six weeks. Not every day, not all day, all night, just six weeks. Just give a section each week to think about it, consider it. Pick up that book, If God Then What. They're on the shelf as you walk out. And why we've put them there is you can subtly take it without anyone seeing. Now, if you want people to see you because you want to kind of look like you've stolen it, you can do that as well. Um, but you can take it to examine it. Maybe you're saying, hey, I'd like to meet with someone just to ask some questions. Well, come and see me at the very end. You're thinking, really, you? You're a bit weird. I'll introduce you to someone who's nice. <laughs> and we can journey a bit, say, hey, what are the questions you got? It's worth exploring. And then maybe for lastly, for some of us, it's actually you would say, hey, I know what it is. I've left the old home and I live in a new home, but I've never announced it. I've never had that moment of saying, now I've been baptized to say, this is the sign of what's gone on. And maybe for you, today is a moment of saying, hey, I'm not messing around anymore. I am going to announce this news. And for you, I'd like you to do a really bold thing that is, do come and speak to me at the very end before we go to get bapt- see these guys get baptized. Because I'd really like you to go, yes, this is it. I'm going to take the action now. Otherwise, can I just pray for us? And then we're going to, finish, and I'll explain what's going to happen next. Jesus, I thank you so much for the five individuals that are getting baptized. God, I thank you that they've already started to live in this new home that you've afforded them. And I thank you for the transformation it's bringing already in their lives. But Jesus, I thank you. They now have a lifetime to explore this home. And I pray and ask, would they discover that it is way better than they dared believe? And God, I want to pray for each of us here. I pray for those of us who are centered on you. I pray, would you re-envision us to understand the home that you've afforded us, Jesus, the life that you've given us. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who are here just saying, actually, I'm just looking in, wondering. I pray, Jesus, would you begin to reveal that, that you're one who does promise something better than we could have ever imagined. And I pray, God, would you uh, begin to just reveal yourself I really ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen.